Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast where we bring the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. In this episode, we get to hear from one of the most iconic and influential brands in the world, Fender, or more formally known as the Fender Musical Instrument Corporation. Fender was founded in 1946 by Leo Fender and is best known for the Telecaster and Stratocaster electric guitars. These instantly recognizable guitars have been played by the likes of Muddy Waters, Keith Richards, Buddy Holly, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and so many more. I got to meet with the Vice President of Engineering at Fender, Josh Couch, at the Fender offices in Hollywood, California. Josh and his team have created new applications like Fender Tune and Fender Play that are opening up the world of guitars to a whole new group of people. So without any further ado, let's dig in. Welcome to another episode of Masters of Data podcast. And uh, I must say this is one of the interviews I've been most excited about in the last couple of months to come and talk to somebody at one of my favorite companies in the world, Fender, and I'm talking to Josh Couch, who's the VP of Engineering at Fender. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been super excited about this for a lot of different reasons that I'm sure we're going to dig into, but you know, just to start off with, you know, we were talking a little bit before, you're a fellow Southerner, you know, you've done a lot of really interesting things in your career, so I'd love to take a couple of minutes and just learn a little more about you. I mean, how did you end up in software development in this industry? What kind of led you that direction? Yeah, sure. So it was really accidental. I grew up in the South in Georgia. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to the University of Georgia and got a history degree. And yeah, I love that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, so my thought was I'll be a professor and teach history. And obviously that's kind of, being a professor is hard to get into. You can yes. to wait for uh, someone to retire or pass away before you get one of those roles. But met a girl in school and she was from California. So we graduated and moved out of California. The plan was to uh, get my California residency and go to, to Berkeley, get my PhD. Yeah. But along the way, I had to pay the rent. So I started working for a great company called Williams-Sonoma. Yeah. They actually had an opening on their tech support help desk. So I moved over to the corporate headquarters and did tech support for a while. Really learned a lot on the job, but uh, saw what the software developers were doing and was really intrigued by that and just kind of moved into that over time. Eventually went back and got my MBA at San Francisco State to manage and to grow in terms of my business understanding and, and how I could help the business, both in terms of managing people, but also managing the tech. So from there, I made a life move down to Southern California, got a job at MySpace. So again, another big brand um, yeah. that, that people are familiar with and really worked with a lot of super intelligent engineers. I kind of joined MySpace at, right after the post peak. Facebook had just kind of passed them in terms of uh, U.S. audience and global yeah. audience. But learned a lot about what you could do with data and what data meant to a company and how you could really use that to derive product innovation and product enhancements and just uh, really understanding what you can do with products that you're building. As well as the, I guess, joining of music and tech. I really learned that at MySpace and saw what you could do with music. Yeah. Um, with data, whether it's recommending more songs to your playlist or recommending people that you should know, things like that, just uh, really put that to good use in MySpace. And are you a musician yourself? Or? Yeah, I've been playing since a kid, was in a couple of bands. I've been playing forever, not very good, I used that <laughs> earlier. I've played forever, I should be way better than I am, but I love it. Um, yeah. And so things happen in MySpace, which won't get too much into, but went to another company after that, a media company that was in uh, like the social good space. So when the opportunity came up at Fender and just the chance to, to jump into music and tech again, 
decided to jump at it. It makes a lot of sense. I would expect that a lot of people that end up here, even in software engineering, kind of have a music interest already, right? Yeah, you know, we actually have a lot of people who have like a music degree or a music mm-hmm. tech degree, which is really interesting, that sort of convergence of music and tech. Again, like what's the math behind music and, and how does it work? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a lot of folks with that background. And then we have other software engineers who are also players. So I think probably 60% of my team plays guitar, which has been pretty great, um, or an instrument of some sort. And then another you know, segment of that is, is just creative. They've got an art background or something like that. So I really feel like we can bring that creative approach to the, the tools that we're building for Fender users now. And I think that's really reflected in, in those applications and websites. That we're Do you have to specifically recruit drummers so that you can have a band to work? You know, that's funny <laughs> you should say that. We are actively looking for drummers. Um, no, it's uh, every quarter we have something we call Band Jam. Where yeah. We together and form um, you know, employee-based bands. And drummers are typically in three to four bands just because we, we have so few of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because even, you know, we're trying to organize something a couple of weeks at my work and it's like the drummers are always the hardest to find. Yeah, yeah. There's always somebody who plays guitar, but... Totally. <laughs> well, that's really cool, yeah, because I remember when I was researching your background, you, you've obviously had, you know, some great experiences with really top-shelf brands that, you sure. know, which makes sense that that would bring a lot to the table for you personally. And one thing when I originally reached out to Fender and, and thinking about you, saw the presentation, you guys did it at AWS, and I've seen other things that you guys have done. What I thought was really interesting about it, you know, being very into the space myself, you're always hearing stories about the impending doom, about no, how no one's buying guitars anymore, and uh, you see, you know, a company like Gibson has had so many problems. Look, like they've recently come out of bankruptcy, but I mean, there's some hard times, Guitar Center, so on and so forth. You, sure. you know it all. Like you see that. And you see all the struggles that they're having, and then to me, it's just absolutely amazing to then look at you guys. You seem to be in a completely different state, and I think a big part of that has to do with what you in particular are working on with your team. So, yeah. I mean, tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, how do you guys see the world that you're in right now? Well, it all started about four or five years ago, and Fender did uh, one of the first consumer segmentation studies in the industry around guitar. Right. They wanted to gather data. They wanted to say, okay, who are our players? What should our strategy be over the next few years? One thing that they found was 45% of guitar players or new guitar players every year are new to the instrument. And 90% of those churn out within the first six months. Most of those within the first 90 days. Wow. So the, the premise was, how can we capture some percentage of that and just keep them in the product, in the instrument, continue to play? Because that turns into real value for not only Fender, but for the entire industry. Right. Uh, musical instrument industry, guitar specifically. Amplifiers, everything that we sell in our, our Gibson sells as well. Yeah. But we also saw that 50% of those new buyers were women. And that's not yeah. a demographic that we've done a good job of reaching out to in the yeah. past. It's not one you typically would associate with Fender. Yeah. So the idea was, let's start up Fender Digital, which is our department, and let's figure out what does digital mean to Fender. And so they brought in people like myself who had a good digital background and they could really put together a roadmap with our CEO and with our other established executive team to figure out what does digital mean to Fender you know, we've been around for 70 years, what the next 70 years look like? Yeah. Obviously people are walking around with super, super computers in their pockets now. What can we do with that? How can we harness that? 
how can we speak to this new generation of, of users that we haven't talked to before in the past. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess before that, Fender hadn't really focused on the space. So like this was 2015, right, when yeah. it started. And what made you guys decide to, you know, in particular, the thing that you guys presented with AWS in particular was about the new apps that you built. But what, sure. what made you decide to go that particular, you know, route? Yeah, well, one thing that we've done in the past that Fender's done is they tried a few different things that were sort of digital related. They actually had a, an iPhone port on a Stratocaster. Yeah, uh, that they built, and I think they sold maybe three of them. So that, uh, what we realized is what no one wants an iPhone in the middle of a Stratocaster. Yeah, yeah, People yeah. People want the str same Strat that Jimi Hendrix played, that Eric Clapton played, mm. or the same jazz bass that Jocko played. But people were more open to applications that complemented the instruments and the amplifiers that Fender made for for so long, for so well. So we've got a line of digital amps that have done very well for us. For example, the, the Fender Mustang line. Mm -hmm. And those sounds are created digitally as opposed to, to analog with the, the tubes that right. we've used for so long. So one of the first things that we did was an application was uh, effectively a remote control for that amplifier. So you had mm -hmm. the convenience of using it from your, your phone without having to, to mess with it. Is that the Fender Tone app? Is that Fender that? Tone, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we've seen a lot of opportunity there to do more and more with something like an amplifier, whether it's gathering data for how people are using it or giving you more enhanced capabilities on the phone because you're kind of limited in terms of the interface that you might have on an amplifier. Uh, but the other app that we did early on was Fender Tune. And what we learned from that was, again, it's, it's a, an application that was really complementary to the guitar's experience of how to tune your guitar, mm. but we approached it from a beginner perspective. Like, let's not assume know how to tune your guitar if you ever picked one up before. Um, but you know, we'll be very accessible, really guide you through the process, but we'll combine it with a really high quality algorithm that we built in-house that you know gave you a high quality tuning experience. Mm -hmm. So that combination of the kind of accessibility and the high quality experience and, and tech behind it is really what drove us to Fender Play, which is where we spent a lot of our time over the last couple of years. And that's our subscription service that helps mm -hmm. you learn how to play uh, guitar, bass, or ukulele. Yeah, well, you know, I like the way you describe that because I think one thing in particular, kind of coming from the background myself, having used some of these apps, I mean, most of the apps that you would see would tend to actually not have that quality. I mean, there's just so many out there that you can see they're going after beginners, but then the quality is so low yeah. that you get frustrated with it really quickly. And I think exactly. that's interesting how you guys did that. Or there's just a really high barrier of entry. It's yeah. Like, we're going to make you work for this, you know. I, I mean, it already hurts to play the guitar, right? It's a piece of wood <laughs> with steel frets. And steel right, right, right. Hurts. So let's make it easier for you to learn and hopefully stick with it. So. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that really resonated with me, too, is when the research that you guys did about, you know, how many, you know, women, you know, little girls playing guitar, no, particularly is just reminding because I have a little eight-year-old girl and she's starting to play guitar. Okay. And how does that affect to the design of, of an app like this? What were you doing differently than you might have done otherwise? Uh, well, I think part of it is the tone that you would. Sorry, I've already used that word a hundred times. Like the, the voice. Well, it does come up quite a bit in guitar, does, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like the voice that we used. So again, let's not make assumptions about who you are. Let's make it more accessible and open. Yeah. Um, let's give you options, whether it's electric guitar, which has kind of been our sweet spot historically, but also acoustic guitar. And we're seeing a lot of people coming in who want to do hip-hop kind of R&B uh, type music with the bass. So let's offer a bass curriculum that can give you blues or funk. Yeah. So just uh, being a little more uh, diverse in the way that we're approaching the product and the curriculum and the content that we're offering to the users. Yeah. Um, but also kind of 
continuing with not making assumptions, let's look at what you're actually doing. Let's gather that data. We're getting a lot of behavioral data from the people using the products. So how do we feed that back into the product? You know, let's look at what content people are getting stuck on and maybe they're you know churning out of the product because there's a lesson that's too hard. Or maybe we should look at the chords that we're teaching earlier on in mm-hmm. the sequence of the, the curriculum path and let's change that up based on the behaviors that we're seeing from the, from the users in the application. Well, talk me a little bit about how that works because I know sure. the funny thing, I was going back and watching some of the videos and even having played for years, you know, once you start, you know, adding all the numbers and the ends of chord names and, you know, sure. okay, this is supposed to be a... Uh, I don't know. It's, you know see, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like I you know, even as a guitar player playing for years. Like I just know I put my fingers, but that's what I've always done. Sure. What does that feedback loop look like? Sure. So, well, to start with, we brought in people who had music backgrounds and curriculum, specifically music education backgrounds, and we put together a, a curriculum that really walked user from kind of again first time you picked it up to a kind of intermediate status. Um, so we put a lot of thought and time into that, and we catered it towards different genres, whether it's rock or folk, and different instruments. Mm-hmm. We did some user testing along the way, so here's our initial thought, here's how we're going to film the videos, getting user feedback early on, and we fed that back into the product. But now that it's released and in, in production, we're looking at how people are using it. So we're tracking how long people are watching videos for, how often they are uh, rewinding the, the video or starting over or stopping and pausing and coming back to it. So trying to get a gauge of like, where are they getting stuck? Where are people like pausing the video to, to practice a little more? Mm-hmm. And how do we add tools in to either get them through the video quicker, like maybe we simplify it um, in a given lesson for how to play that C, C augment of the whole 11th or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Or simplify it in a way that the users don't get stuck and don't don't churn out or don't get frustrated, if you will. That's pretty fascinating because I know when I watch those videos, you watch the same thing over and over, you know, yeah. like twenty times to get it right. So, so you guys have actually actively gone in, see how people are using it, and then you go build specific features into the product to to help them with that particular section. Or we are, yeah. So it's like a content quality kind of process as well as just general user feedback. So we're looking at both the quantitative um, analytics that we're gathering as well as just qualitative feedback from talking users. We have surveys for people that have churned out of the product where we just try to gather insight into why. This is kind of an uh, interesting note. When I was playing around with it yesterday, I ended up looking at some stuff online in my browser, but I had initially, you know, hearing some of what you guys talked about, I think primarily in terms of my phone. I mean, how do you see people, how are people consuming it? Are they doing it mostly on their phone? Are they bringing up their laptop or putting it on their TV or? About 50-50 right now. Yeah, it's surprising. We thought it would be a lot more uh, app usage, but it can be tricky to hold a guitar and a phone at the same time, right? So we're looking at ways that we can open that up into more platforms. We're looking at, like right now you can uh, use Chromecast or cast your Apple TV from the app, oh, should we do like a native Apple TV app? Just because it is a nice format to stand in front of. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we're seeing about 50-50 desktop browser and then then app usage. The behavior right now is, is roughly the same. People tend to follow the curriculum that we set in place. Um, so kind of starting from, from one and going through 10. But we are starting to see people who've been in the product longer start to explore a little more and they start to get off what we call the path and look at other songs or other, you know, look at other genres or other instruments and really start to, to take some of those lessons and kind of fill out their, their repertoire. Taking a step back, 
you. So in particular, like how when you run your team, what does that actually look like in terms of the people involved? I mean, is this kind of a engineering-led effort or do you guys have data scientists involved? I mean, how does the skill sets look that you, you bring to the table? So we have a, a really great product team, which is super important uh, in yeah. a company like this is because they're kind of in the middle of everything, right? So you have a lot of stakeholders, internal and external. But they're really driving the, the thinking and the roadmap. And then on the engineering side, we're obviously looking at the data that's coming through. We're collecting it, we're providing it, we're making it available, and then sitting down with our business analyst and product analyst to look at what's happening and then make decisions based off of that. Yeah. So it's a really collaborative, really kind of creative, think of it like a band. Uh, we're working together with the different disciplines to come up with uh, the product for the user. How big is the team? So on the engineering team, we have kind of all the different disciplines represented. We've got our client engineers, so web and native mobile. We've got our platform engineers who are doing all the APIs for us. We do have a couple of data engineers now, which has been relatively recent for us. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really growing out that discipline now that we're gathering data, like what do we do with it? How do we structure it appropriately? How do we report off of it? So. Not only are we storing it in our application databases, but we're passing it down into our data warehouse and starting to really generate some, some interesting insights into that data. You know, actually, now that you bring up that particular bit, who do you see consuming that data? Because, I mean, I think that one of the interesting things that I love the way you're talking about this and, you know, reading interviews with, you know, people like your CEO, Andy Mooney, and is you guys were clearly very deliberative like, going into this. You had a clear, you know, idea of what you wanted to do. You clearly also have interest all the way up to your you know, CEO who's talking about it. So how does this data get consumed? I mean, is this consumed at like up at the executive level and they're taking a look at it? And it is. So we have a weekly meeting on Mondays where we go through kind of the, the state of the digital business. We try to be as transparent as possible with that data. And a lot of it is, you know, focused around the business. Uh, we established some KPIs early on for here's how we want to measure the success of the business how many lessons are being consumed, what's our LTV for a user, what's our churn rate for iOS versus web. So we report on those every Monday, and then on Tuesdays we meet with our CEO and other executives to go through roadmap, what the week looks like, any challenges or any help that we might need from them. So we've had a ton of support uh, from vendor executives. It's really been uh, very collaborative, very supportive from their standpoint. Yeah. But just more broadly, one of the things I love about Fender is is they have their eye on kind of the, the larger um, industry. Obviously, Fender benefits from a very healthy music instrument industry. Uh, it's not just all about Fender. We have interest in Gibson doing well. But that data that we are collecting, we are also trying to share as much as we can with our retail partners because we have vested interest in Guitar Center doing well. Mm -hmm. um, or mom and pop shops who right. um, I have a, a few locations. So we're sharing what we're learning about our users. We're also trying to send our users back into their shops to get help or buy more gear. Yeah. So it's not just about purchasing a guitar from Fender.com or selling you more gear from us, but how do we make the, the larger industry bigger? Well, you know, that does remind me of something I saw that at one point, I don't know if you guys are still doing this, but you were actually when people subscribe to the digital service, you are actually giving them incentives, right, to go Absolutely. buy physical gear, right? Yeah, and it's uh, an opt-in program with our retail partners. They can uh, choose to cooperate with us or participate with us. But, you know, a lot of our retail partners have in-person lessons that they offer, and we yeah. don't want to cannibalize that. So we are also really pitching Fender Play to complement that as well. You know, just like our apps complement our guitars, our Fender Play lessons should complement the lessons that our retail partners might offer in person. Yeah. Because we do, we do acknowledge that uh, there's a lot of things that are just better when you're sitting down with someone and working through it. So we'll yeah. kind of help you with the basics 
again, our, our goal is to keep you playing the guitar forever. So how can we kind of partner with, with our retail partners to do that? So that makes a lot of sense, too, because there's a certain extent where, particularly for music education, they play off of each other, right? You sit down with a teacher, you learn some new skill set, you got to go practice that. Do you find that there's that level of cooperation with, like, you know, teachers where they can actually say, go do this Fender play lesson and... You know, we are. Part of that is just really building up goodwill with the instructors that we're working yeah. with. We employ a lot of instructors, and we have a lot of instructors, whether you see them on camera or not, they're sitting down and helping us come up with our tablature, for example, and, and map out our music XML yeah. that we load into the product. And then working with a lot of other instructors, getting feedback, you know, mostly in the LA area, but other places that we have a presence, we, we get as much feedback as we can. How could we, for example, allow instructors to, you know, create homework for their students and have them use Fender Play as part of their overall curriculum and things of that nature? You know, one thing that this kind of reminds me of too, and I was going back in, I, was, I read a couple of interviews with your CEO and like seeing how he was responding to some of the research you guys did. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that you guys are having a lot of success apparently with ukuleles. Sure. So is that is that tied in at all with the like stuff you're working on with the with the app? Uh, yeah, so we offer lessons with ukulele. We're obviously we're building out the product line. We've got some, yeah. some interesting uh, signature partnerships that we're doing with artists. But we're seeing a lot of ukulele use in schools. I've yeah. got some, some friends in San Francisco, their kids are taking ukulele as part of their, their class curriculum. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of that. So it's just another sort of it's a new area that we can get into. It's a new demographic, new kind of user base that may not traditionally have looked at Fender as something they want to purchase something from. But ukulele is very accessible. Uh, yeah. It doesn't hurt your hands as bad. Um, it's very child friendly. So yeah. you get them uh, learning the value of music early on and then maybe they can graduate to a guitar at some point. Well, you know, and that was something that I think back to some of the comments that I, I saw Mooney say was that this idea that it's not just at least when I was growing up and wanting to play guitar, it was it was like okay, I want to be like Van Halen, you know. Exactly. Or right. you know, there was a very particular thing that you were going for. I want to sound like this person, you know, virtuoso, whatever. Yeah. It seems like partly what you guys are trying to tap into is this idea. It's a cultural thing too. It's like playing with other people. It's a Absolutely. it's an enjoyment. It's a lifestyle thing. It's not just I'm practicing. I can shred this solo, so I'm going to go, you know, perform right. tomorrow, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, we saw a lot of that with punk and then even again with grunge. Like, Kurt Cobain's kind of a hero for a lot of people because he wasn't Eddie Van Halen, but he, you know, expressed himself yeah. um, in a very clear way and used his instrument in a way that was very authentic to, to Kurt Cobain. So, a lot of people are using it that way, whether it's for compositional purposes or, you know, the way that music is being made these days, it's more about riffs or certain samples. Yeah. So they can use it for that purpose as opposed to having the traditional three verses, a chorus, and a shredding guitar solo. So we'll still make the, the guitars in Ralphie the same way, but we'll help you use them in different ways, and we'll, we'll teach you how to use them in different ways for different, different purposes. Oh, that's really cool. The reference you made with grunge and with punk, too, I hadn't actually thought about it that way before, but it actually makes a lot of sense because it changed the way that some people played yeah, electric absolutely. guitars, and yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Taking a step back from all this, so you released the first app in, I think, Fender Tune in 2016, right? Correct. Yeah. And in uh, the Tone and Play were in 2017, is that right? Yeah, so Fender Play, we're about to hit the two-year anniversary in July. Now you're coming up on that two-year anniversary. I mean, what are the big things that you think you learned? You know, if you look back at what you started with and what you where you're at now, I mean, what's the big learnings? One of the, the big learnings is that People tend to plateau when they're playing, and you touched on yeah. this a little bit earlier, but like I've played guitar for 30 years. I should be better than I am. 
I'd probably call myself intermediate, but in reality, I'm probably what we might call a beginner plus. So I know my chords, I can play some rhythms, I've got some strum patterns, but like I can't rip off the Eddie Van Halen guitar, yeah. nor could I necessarily tell you all the notes on the fret fretboard. What we're learning is that people tend to uh, kind of work through the beginning stages of our curriculum, but we need to help engage you and reward you more quickly. We haven't quite figured out those mechanisms yet, but we're in progress of like setting up what those are. So one of the insights is people tend to stay in our level one for a long time. Yeah. So how do we move you along more quickly into level two, give you rewards so that you can feel like you're accomplishing something while also continuing to, to teach you. So we, we, yeah. we're learning we need to streamline a little better. We've seen a lot of value in showing you the progress that you've made. So how do we better reward you for that progress? How do we show your achievements uh, more clearly? And then how do we make recommendations of the content that are more personalized to you? So that's kind of the next big stage for us is we've now got two years of data. Let's start to personalize that data. Let's start to look at what you've done. Let's look at what other people have done. Let's make great recommendations based off of that. I think that really does resonate because I think back to like you and I were talking about before the interview started. I also should be much better than I am after all this time. But I mean, I think part of that is, I thought at some point maybe it was just me, but I think I realized and you know, with a lot of different people, you have to have a reason to play. Like you have to have something you're going for. And my learning experience tends to be like these cliffs of learning, like this rapid, rapid, advancement in some particular thing and then I'll plateau again. And sure. That actually makes a lot of sense, being able to tie into that and encourage that. It's like, okay, we see you're, you're into this now. Can we right. pump into that and like actually help you go faster? And, and exactly. So we offer this kind of broad highway of our curriculum, but there's a lot of paths that people want to kind of go yeah. out and learn something different and then come back to kind of the main highway. So uh, we're learning how to provide that a better way. I think that's really great. I can't emphasize enough that I, I think it is really interesting, number one, how you guys started off with the research. You went out and found out what people were doing. You realized this insight about you know beginners and about how the demographics are changing in terms of who plays guitar, and you're trying to, to go off of that and actually trying to respond to that and actually building something that's helping beginners get past you know that first stage, which I think is probably was one of the big problems in the guitar industry before is that it, it you know it appealed to a certain set people like you and me rather than like you know sure. a broader group of people that actually want to play guitar and I think that's pretty awesome yeah so um, you know kind of putting a bow on all this you guys have going on four years under your belt with Fender Digital what's next what can you talk about that you guys are thinking about that you think is going to be kind of the next big innovations to come yeah sure so one thing that we're starting to invest a lot more time on is that relationship with the physical products so mm -hmm. I mentioned our Mustang amplifiers before the roadmap for those amplifiers is really interesting in that we, we have the technology on board already and we're going to be you know offering more and more products with that technology so how do we understand better how people are using the physical products. Because right now it's just a gap. It's it's what you do in the app, but that's all we have. So mm -hmm. let's tie that to the physical product. Let's get that usage back. You know, when are you using it? How, how long are you using it? What are you not using? So on a physical product, every button, every knob costs money. So if people aren't using those, maybe we leave them off. Mm. Or maybe we add more, you know, based on what people are kind of getting stuck on. There's the manufacturing process. So one of the things we talked about at reInvent was how we're starting to add more machine learning into the, the manufacturing process. So whether it's things like we're doing some wood matching where we look at the pieces of wood that we glued together for our guitar bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a very human process. There's still you know a lot of human involvement, but how can we 
make that process a little cleaner and, and more efficient. So when you match wood on the body, uh, you're trying to look for the wood grain uh, so that when you then do our three-tone uh, sunburst finish, for example, mm -hmm. it looks beautiful. If you do it wrong, you can still use the wood. You don't waste it, but you just paint it black or you paint it red. It's a solid yeah. color. So applying those kind of machine learning concepts to manufacturing process is something we're going to be looking at. And then with Fender Play, it's again, we have two years of data. How can we personalize the experience more and more? Not just recommendations, but really keep you engaged. We look a lot at like exercise applications, so Pelotons or Strava, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but we want to create those habits of a user coming back and learning at their pace, but in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that keeps them coming back, whether that's once a week, five times a week. But we can remind you, we can gently reward you or prod you to, to come back and start using it more and more based on you as a, an individual, as opposed to just a one broad sweep. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, that, and then just uh, more interactive features. So we have a great video-based curriculum right now, but we're doing more and more with tablature and you know ways that we um, have you walk through the songs and kind of reward you and, and listen to what you're doing and give you feedback based on based on what you do. There's probably a big market for that, because at least like a lot of the stuff that I use could use a little bit more investment from somebody like Fender, because sure. it's just, you know, I don't know how many times I've gone and tried to find, you know, things and find out they're wrong or, you know, they don't really totally. work right. You know, so yeah. I think, yeah, that, that could be that could be really interesting for you guys. Well, you know, again, Josh, it's been great talking to you. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. I mean, I'm really nice. glad to see, you know, uh, you, for such an iconic brand that you guys are taking and in, in doing new stuff without giving up your heritage. And I think that's, that's really, really cool. And I, I wish you guys luck going forward. Thanks for taking the time with me. Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Check us out on the feed on your favorite podcast app. Rate us and review so other people can find us. And have a great week. Masters of Data is brought to you by SumoLogic. SumoLogic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. SumoLogic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.